Thank you very much. Good morning, New Life Lincoln Park. Wow, one person. All right. Good morning, New Life Lincoln Park. Thank you. Thanks for coming this morning. Thank you. I appreciate you that you came today. So I'm uh, Pastor Justin Francis of New Life Bridgeport, close by the White Sox Stadium. And uh, greet you in the mighty and matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one name that every knee will bow to, every tongue will confess one day that he is Lord. And I always tell people, you need to bow now because you're going to bow at some point. So just bow now because you're going to bow now or you're going to bow later. So thank you for this opportunity. And I was just here a few months ago in March preaching. So it's always a great thing if you're a preacher to be invited again to somewhere because that means you didn't suck the first time. So praise God for that. (laughs) Somebody liked my sermon. Thank you, Pastor Bobby. Thank you to the members who were here and invited me back. And I didn't preach heresy, praise God. And so uh, also a cool thing is about 10 years ago when I moved to Chicago, Bobby was one of my professors at Moody. You know, so I've known him for uh, 10 years now. And so it's a blessing, honor, and privilege to preach at the church of one of my former college professors. You know, it comes around full circle. So grateful to be here once again. And so As a location, if you're paying attention, if you're not sleeping in church the whole time, you should know that as a church, you're in a series called Voices, Voices. And so each and every one of us today, if we're saved, if we're born again, purchased by the blood of Christ, we have a voice. God's given us a voice to share the gospel. God's given us a voice to make an impact for his kingdom. Each and every one of us are commanded to make disciples. And we are all commanded to be a voice for God, to tell the world about what God has accomplished for humanity through the shed blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his son. And so two weeks ago, right here in Lincoln Park, you heard from Pastor Asa App, and he preached about this, stop gazing and start engaging. Once again, stop gazing and start engaging. Do that action with me, gazing, okay, and start engaging. And I didn't even uh, have that in my notes. So, you know, that's spontaneous right there. Many of us have great head knowledge about theology. We know a lot about what the word has to say, but at the same time, we're actually on the bench spiritually because we're not engaging. We're just gazing and we're making commentary. We're sitting on the bench, making commentary about what other Christians are doing right and wrong. And sure, we could express our opinion. We could tell people, you know, how we could tighten up spiritually, but you need to be out on the field in the game. Stop gazing and start engaging. Engage our world and culture for Jesus. Get off the bench, get in the game. And then last week we heard from Pastor Juan Sanchez, who accurately and eloquently taught us about everyday discipleship, everyday discipleship. And so we were able to look into the practice and praxis or praxis of discipleship in our everyday life. And we learned that sadly, less than 5% of churches are actually making disciples. Less than 5% of churches are making disciples. That is a sad reality. And Pastor Juan, he helped us bridge the gaps between orthodoxy, which is what we know, orthopathy, which is what we feel, and orthopraxy, which is our actions. And all of these tie into discipleship, orthodoxy, orthopathy, and orthopraxy, what we know, what we feel, and our actions. And today I'm going to be preaching about the cost of discipleship, 
Again, the cost of discipleship. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, a Christian, a blood-brought believer, then that makes you a disciple of Christ. So what exactly is the cost of discipleship? I'm going to give away the answer very early on in my sermon. This is the cost of discipleship. Everything. Everything. That is the cost of discipleship. So I want you to repeat this after me. As a disciple of Christ, I must give Jesus everything. Once again, as a disciple of Christ, I must give Jesus everything. And that is the cost of discipleship today. You no longer run the show. Jesus is Lord, and discipleship costs you your time, convenience, fun, sometimes relationships, freedom. And some Christians will actually lose their life for becoming a disciple of Christ. And we can have fun and freedom in Christ. There are truly countless benefits to becoming a disciple. It's not all doom and gloom, as we know. We get to know God. We gain eternal life. We're given the Holy Spirit, his fruit, love, joy, peace, and many other blessings. And most Christians will not face the threat of death for becoming a Christian, especially in America. But things are changing, as many of us notice. Like, they're attacking uh, churches, having tax-exempt status if you preach what the Bible actually has to say and, you know, we're not as preferred as uh, a faith as we used to be. And so persecution is coming to America. And some people have lost their life for following Christ in America. It's just not in high numbers like it is in many other parts of the world. And so we have blessings that come with discipleship. And we know that the benefits of discipleship definitely outweigh the cost, but there is a cost for us to consider. And I think many times we don't speak about the cost of discipleship. And maybe some of us <laughs> didn't know today that's what we signed up for. But if you sign up to become a Christian to follow Christ, then you must be willing to die for Christ if God so calls you to make that step. That is part of what you sign up for. And if you didn't know that today, then maybe you need to reevaluate if you really want to follow Christ because that is part of the cost of discipleship. It costs us everything. And so our anchor text today will be coming from Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 38. Once again, Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 38. And in honor of God's word, I ask that we stand as we read from the holy word of God. So join me in Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 38. And verse 31 says this, I'm reading from the ESV. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? His soul? 
For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We honor the word of God by saying amen. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth found in your word, Lord, that there is a cost of discipleship and it costs us everything. Lord, help us to destroy our idols and help us, Lord, to put you first, Lord, in the place that you deserve because you're God and God alone, Lord. I pray I bless and edify the believers today, Lord. I pray that I get out the way so I could put Christ fully on display, Lord. And if someone here doesn't know you, someone here has not repented, turned from sin, changed their mind and trusted you, I pray today will be their day that they trust Christ for salvation. Anoint me in a mighty way. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And so, honestly, this portion of Scripture should scare us, actually. <laughs> there should be a holy fear that comes upon us. A righteous fear of God should come over us when we see what Jesus actually has to say in this passage. Each time I read this portion of Scripture, I'm challenged in a new way to reevaluate my commitment to being a disciple of Christ. Each and every time. Now, some people in error make a distinction between a Christian and a disciple, and, and they mean well. They say a Christian versus a disciple. According to this view, the Christian is a basic believer, but a disciple, that's the deep believer. Anybody ever heard that take? All right. Some of you probably believe that today. <laughs> that, you know, that person over there, they're, they're just a Christian, but, but oh, she over there, she's killing it. That, that's a disciple right there. That's what they say. Unfortunately... That's not what the Bible teaches. <laughs> and today as the preacher, that's part of my job to clarify what's actually in Scripture. And remember this, brothers and sisters, just because something's popular doesn't mean it's biblical. <laughs> just because you've heard something a lot doesn't mean it's true. Popular doesn't mean true. Popular doesn't mean biblical. And so our text today clearly contradicts such a view. Look what Jesus says in verse 31. If anyone will come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. And then the scary part, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. For whoever is ashamed of me. Whoever. There's just too many anyones and whosoevers and whoevers in this text to make it a requirement just for a disciple who many people again view as a deep or mature Christian. If anyone would come after me, let me hear you say anyone. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. No matter who you are, how long you've been saved, no matter where you travel, how much money you make, if you want to be a disciple of Christ, you must be willing to take up your cross and follow Christ. If anyone desires to come after Christ, you must deny yourself. And Jesus in Mark chapter 8 verse 34, he makes a radical command. Taking up your cross and following Christ is like taking up an electric chair and following Christ. See, oftentimes we forget because we're thousands of years, thousands of years removed from this text that the cross is an instrument of torture and death. 
Now, we've turned it into an ornament in our houses. We have nice paintings of the cross, and, you know, that's beautiful. And I'm not condemning if you have paintings of the cross or jewelry of the cross. But remember, the cross is an instrument of shame, torture, and death. And he's telling us to take up his, our cross and follow him. It's more than a decoration and all these pictures, brothers and sisters. It's an instrument of cruel torture and death. And Jesus says, anyone who will come after me must take this death instrument up and follow me. Being a disciple doesn't automatically make you deep in the faith. Like a lot of people think, well, again, he's a disciple. He's deep in the faith. Well, let's actually look at some of the things that the disciples did. Look at the 12 disciples. Look at many of the immature and just straight up dumb decisions they made. One, one disciple betrayed Christ. You remember that, Judas? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, there's another story of disciples calling, wanting to call fire down from heaven to destroy people unnecessarily. You know, is that, is that a mature move? Hey, hey, hey God, just, just send fire down from heaven to destroy these people for no real reason. It didn't even make sense in the text why they wanted to do that. Peter, in our text today, he tries to rebuke the God-man, right? <laughs> he tried to rebuke Jesus, someone who he saw walk on water, someone who is the, the God-man, you know, multiply food, heal the sick, raise the dead. And, and he tries to rebuke Jesus. This is a disciple, the same man giving the keys to the kingdom later on. God in the flesh, he tries to rebuke him. Peter says, no, Jesus, no, I know you just said you're going to die and rise again and you're going to save humanity, but no, not on my watch. <laughs> I won't let it happen. And then what does Jesus say? Satan, get behind me because you're talking crazy right now, Peter. I need to die and rise again to save the world from sin. And Jesus rebukes Peter, and then we see that Peter goes on to famously deny Jesus three times. We see Thomas was doubtful, and other times in scriptures, the disciples didn't even know the scriptures. They didn't even know the scriptures to look forward to, to anticipate what the Messiah was actually going to do. So we see that a disciple is not necessarily an amazing scholar of the word or a deep Christian. And we have many other examples about that, that a disciple can not only be immature, they can be a babbling, blundering idiot in certain circumstances. So Jesus says again, I'm going to die and rise again to save the world from sin. And the disciple says, never will I let that happen. Then he says, Satan, get behind me. Why? Because that idea is coming from Satan because Peter at that moment was not letting the things of God rule the things of man. He's thinking more of the things of man at that moment. And the truth is this, all believers are disciples. And I think the distinction should not be a Christian versus a disciple, I think the distinction that we should rethink and not have this debate anymore is, are you an immature disciple or a mature disciple? Because we're all disciples of Christ, each and every one of us. The moment you get saved, you are now a disciple, according to Scripture. And if you don't believe me, we're going to look at the origin of the word Christian. What is the origin of the word Christian? What does it mean to be Christian? The word Christian actually means little Christ or Christ follower. And so this term was actually created to mock Christians. A lot of people don't know that. That's the origin of the term Christian. People called 
believers, Christians, to make fun of them. Like, look at that silly uh, little Christ over there. Look at that idiot serving a fake God who was just a man who died as a fraud. This is what people were saying in the book of Acts. But obviously, believers live such distinct lives that they were identified with Christ. So once again, this is another reason why the disciple and the Christian distinction needs to be eradicated. Because they're synonyms. They're not distinct titles. They are, they are synonyms. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 26. We're going to put that on screen. This is where the term Christian is first used in the Bible. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Wow, the disciples were first called Christians. So we learn in the Bible that the term disciple is actually used before the term Christian, which is more evidence that these, again, are synonyms. All disciples are Christians. All Christians are our disciples. So again, <laughs> we see here the term disciple was used before the term Christian was. So there goes the erroneous teaching that you're a Christian first, then you graduate to be a disciple. They're synonyms. So what exactly is a disciple of Christ? According to scripture, a disciple is simply a follower of Christ, a learner or pupil, a student of Jesus. See, the disciple, the dis definition of a disciple really isn't that deep. It's a follower of Christ. That's it. A disciple is not an expert at apologetic street evangelism or open air preaching. It's not just a mature believer, a scholar, or academic professional theologian. A disciple is not someone who necessarily has a Bible college or seminary degree. A disciple isn't necessarily fluent in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, or an expert in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic exegesis. No, a disciple is simply a follower of Christ. And we have greatly overcomplicated what it means to be a disciple to the point that people are, are intimidated to take that term on. Uh, go up to somebody and say, uh, you know, hey, I just got saved. Praise God. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know about all that. I'm a Christian, though. No, they are synonyms. We need to rethink how we've overcomplicated what a disciple is. And there are many components of discipleship today, but again, we're dealing with the cost of discipleship. So if you're going to deal with the cost of discipleship, you need to know what a disciple actually is. <laughs> and the cost of discipleship is everything. Jesus, in our passage today, he predicts his death, as we mentioned already, that he would be killed and rise again three days later. Peter didn't get it, and he was rebuked again because he had his mindset on the things of man instead of the things of God. And then Christ calls his followers to deny themselves to take up the cross and follow him. And this is the call to discipleship. If you will come after me, deny yourself. Join me in Mark chapter 8, 35 and 36. Join me, follow me in the scriptures, and it will be on screen as well. Verse 35 says this, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit or lose his soul? Jesus says this, whoever would save his life will lose it means that whoever lives a self-centered life focused on this present world, trying to maintain status and control their own destiny, that person will miss out on eternal life with God. 
We don't like to hear this, especially in our country. We want that security, put money in the stock market, get your 401k up, praise God for all those things. I've done some of those things. But I know that my life is held in the arms of Christ ultimately. No matter how good of a retirement package I have, no matter how many degrees I've gotten, are you losing your life for the sake of Christ? Are you willing to say, man, my life is hidden in Christ? That's the cost of discipleship today. If you attempt to preserve your life outside of the God of the Scriptures, you will end up in hell for eternity because we will all die physically because of the curse of sin unless Jesus returns before that. And Jesus says, whoever loses his life, though, for my sake and the gospels will save it. So whoever is willing to give up this self-centered life of rebellion against God is the one that loses his life for the sake of the Christ and the gospel. That person will find eternal life and everlasting communion with God. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. But whoever tries to find his life on their own, you will lose it. This is an amazing truth that Jesus says. And after this, Jesus gives one of the greatest rhetorical questions that you'll ever hear in all of history. When he asks this question, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? The answer is clear, nada, nothing. There's no profit to that. Gaining in the world and losing your soul. The things of this world are temporary and passing away. And we see it all the time with celebrities. We see it all the time with people in the media. They're gaining the world but losing their soul. And sadly, we see it many times in the church. We're worried about our status. We're worried about what people think about us, how we look, how much money we're making. And praise God, we want to provide for our families. That is a duty that we have. But are we gaining the world just to lose our soul? Is your soul right with Christ? Is the major question here. Another rhetorical question Jesus asked in verse 37, for what can a man give in return for his soul? And the answer is obvious, nothing. There's nothing you can give in return for your soul. Your soul is eternal. Anything that you can give is earthly and temporal. There's nothing we can give for our soul. And that is the point. Following Jesus, riding with Christ, is the greatest decision anyone could ever make. Why? Because it has implications in this life and in the life to come. As a saying that many of us know, only what's done for Christ will last. Your, your 401k won't bring you into eternity. You won't be able to take that with you. You know, there's another saying and quote that I love, that you never see a U-Haul truck behind a hearse. You've never seen that. Why? You can't take it with you. And I know they, they bury pharaohs and all that with their gold and their jewelry, but guess what? Pharaoh can't take that with him. When you die, that's the end of it, and you face God. You stand before God and give an account. We can't give anything in exchange for our soul, and that is the point today. When you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, we're eternally secure and guaranteed a spot with him in eternity. Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If we're ashamed of Yeshua, Jesus the Christ, in our day and time, he will be ashamed of us before the Father. Oh, yes, he will. No matter what you believe, 
You're going to stand before God when your life is over and give an account. See, we're in a day where people doubt absolute truth. And, you know, ain't no way to know what happens when we die. That's what some people say. And I tell them, you can't tell me and you can't say what everybody knows. You can only talk about what you know. (laughs) And I know the truth. Why? Because God has already communicated with us what happens when we die. Jesus died and rose again and told us what happens when we die. So someone does know what happens, and God knows. And he's already communicated that truth to us. Oh, well, ain't no way to really know what's true. Well, is what you just said true? (laughs) Because if what you just told me is true, then that statement's not even true. And what if my truth says your truth is a lie? Is that still true? Man, don't get caught up in the foolishness of our day where people doubt absolute truth. We have absolute truth. It's in the word of God, and we stand on God's word, and God tells us what's right and wrong. God tells us where our morals come from, and I encourage you, brothers and sisters, stand on the absolute truth of God's word. And God is not a punk. We see that in this text today. (laughs) I always say God is a gangster, man, (laughs) because people think they can live lives ashamed of Christ, keeping Jesus on the low, not really sharing their faith, not making disciples, having a private faith. Well, according to this text here, Jesus said there's no such thing as a private faith. Because he says, if you're ashamed of me before man, I'm going to be ashamed of you before the Father when it really counts. Don't be ashamed of Christ today. Yes, God is a loving, kind, forgiving, and gracious God. But guess what? He's also holy, righteous, mighty, jealous, and wrathful. We don't get to take a buffet. Uh, one of my favorite preachers, R.C. Sproul, he says it this way. Uh, we don't take God's attributes and, and, and make a buffet out of God's attributes. Well, I, I want some love, kindness, and joy over here. I'm going to ignore the wrath and hell over there and, you know, forget about that. God's attributes are not a buffet. You got to take them all. You get all his attributes together, and that's who the God of the Bible is. Love, joy, peace, also holy, righteous, mighty, jealous, and wrathful as well. The wrath of God are actually the holy hot flames of his love. Something Carl Barth said. And according to many statistics and studies by Barner Research and other places, uh, that other groups that do stats on the church, sadly, about 2% of Christians actually regularly share their faith. About 2%. That means around 98% of us are not regularly sharing our faith. And I actually believe it because I've actually never had a Christian, uh, no, actually one time in my whole life a Christian has tried to witness to me. One time. How many times has a Jehovah's Witness tried to witness to me? Man, countless times. How many times has a Mormon came up to me? Many times. And that's sad. So people with false religion, false theology, are out there spreading false messages, deceiving people, sending them to hell. And us with the truth, we're usually not sharing our faith. And about 2% of us are sharing our faith. Do we forget that Jesus commands us to share our faith? He didn't, you know, we turned the great commission into the great suggestion. Jesus commands us to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20 says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is with us when we go and spread the gospel. And maybe you feel like you don't know enough, but guess what? You always know more than an unbeliever. Why? Because you're a believer and they're an unbeliever. 
So how can an unbeliever know more spiritually than someone who's been born again? They can't. So even if you can't answer every question, even if you can be outwitted, hey, man, hey, maybe you need to come to my church and, and, and speak to a leader. I might not have all the answers. Maybe I could come back and we could talk later. But share the faith, brothers and sisters. Jesus has commanded us to teach, to train, to make disciples. But he's also with us. He hasn't left us alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. So I pray that we will be part of that 2% sharing our faith. And also an important component for the two of us, 2% of us that do share our faith, do we ever tell people to count the cost before becoming or considering becoming a Christian? I, really, I rarely hear that. Hey, hey, before you become a Christian, man, just, just understand the things you may have to give up. Before you become a Christian, you might lose relationship with your family. Before you become a Christian, you might lose your job or, you know, be, be ostracized and persecuted at school or at work. And that might sound like a, a radical idea for many of us today, but that's just because many of us don't know our Bible, <laughs> sadly. Look what Jesus has to say about the cost of discipleship in Luke chapter 14, verse 26 to 33. Jesus says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish it all, all who see begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all he has cannot be my disciple. This cost of discipleship reminds me of a friend that I had from Saudi Arabia, and it was amazing getting to know him because he's in a predominantly Muslim country, right? And what he told me was he was saved for two years at this point. He said he had not told his parents that he was a Christian yet because he's trying to save up his money and get his finances right. Why? Because he knew that there was a good chance that when his parents found out he was saved, they were going to cut him off and disown him. That was the cost of discipleship for him. Most of us don't even have to deal with those type of costs, and oftentimes we don't even want to share our faith. We should love God much more than even our mother, father, family in our own life. When family and friends go against the word of God, we stand for the word of God. We stand with Jesus. When culture get, goes against the word of God, we stand for the word of God. We stand for Jesus. We always obey Christ. Our love for God should be so strong that it actually comes off as hate for everything else that is less important. Scripture says, honor your mother and father, love your neighbor as yourself, do unto others as you will have them do to you. So we know that Jesus here is not literally saying hate your parents and family. He's using hyperbole and exaggeration to drive this point home that loyalty and love to God must be higher than loyalty and love to anybody else. Is that you today? Is your love and loyalty for God to that point? 
that people see your love and loyalty for other things and they're like, wow. It's like he actually hates those other things in comparison to his love for God. That is the level that Jesus is saying we need to be for his to be his disciples. And I'm not saying that I'm perfectly there yet. I'm still working on it. But we have a goal. We have a standard. We must bear our cross or you cannot be Christ's disciples. That is the cost of discipleship. And Jesus gives here two examples about the cost of discipleship. If you were to build a great house or other architectural structure, you would need to make sure you have enough money to build it before you start. Or else you're going to look like a fool. And this is what Jesus talks about with someone building a tower or a great structure. If you start and do not finish, that would be a waste of resources and an embarrassment. People will mock you and ask, why would you start building something if you don't have the money to finish? And then he says, if you are a king or queen going to war with another kingdom, you will first have to sit down and see if you had the resources and soldiers to be successful in battle. And this is a symbolism of the cost of discipleship. In the same way, when we think about our commitment to being disciples of Christ, or if we share the gospel, we need to have people count the cost. In the same way, he's saying, hey, don't build a tower or don't go to war if you haven't looked at how many soldiers you got and all that. Well, don't come to Christ if, if, if you haven't looked at what it actually really costs. As you share the gospel, don't let people think that, you know, all you have to do is just repeat a sinner's prayer and that's all you got to do, Romans 10.9. But guess what? Romans 10.9 is not talking about someone repeating a sinner's prayer. We created a sinner's prayer recently in church history but that text is not talking about that. Are people counting the cost to follow Christ? Is anything in your life more important than following Christ? If so, you may need to take more time to consider becoming a Christian. Because remember, a disciple and a Christian, they're synonyms again. Again, many of us, we lead people in a prayer and, and we call them saved. We're not even telling them to count the cost. We need to tell people that there is a cost to being a disciple. Count the cost today. There's an extremely heavy cost. Again, some people will die just because they become a Christian, and that's the cost that they will pay. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear about that, but... As a preacher of God's word, I have to give you the whole counsel of God's word, not just what people want to hear. And that's usually not the cost here in America for becoming saved. But again, that's changing slowly. But our brothers and sisters overseas regularly face this possibility. Remember to pray for the persecuted church, brothers and sisters. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ after all. Some people are cut off from family. Some people lose their jobs. Some people are imprisoned. However, we all lose the freedom to live our lives however we want to. That is the cost that every Christian has to give up. No longer my will, Lord, but your will be done. That's the cost of discipleship today, everything. Is there anything you're holding on to that you're not willing to give up to be a disciple of Christ? Count the cost today. Maybe you've been saved for 20 years, 15 years, and you're really, you haven't really counted the cost. Re-examine today. And a powerful truth that one of my mentors in ministry, the Hadi Lewis, he's the lead pastor of Blueprint Church in Atlanta, he says this. And I love this text. I love this uh, quote. Discipleship is not a ministry of the church. It's 
the ministry of the church. Once again, discipleship is not a ministry of the church. It's the ministry of the church. See, oftentimes we look at discipleship as, you know, this compartment over here, and then, you know, we got kids ministry, and we got this and that, worship, and praise God for all those things. We need all those things. But all those things should lead to people being discipled. Your worship team, you should be singing songs that lead people to worship, bring them closer to discipleship. Your children's ministry should be designed to disciple. Your youth ministry, your small groups, discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. It's not a ministry of the church. It's the ministry of the church. And remember this, brothers and sisters, a disciple is not perfect, but a disciple is obedient to God and his commands and standards overall. And when, again, what is the cost of discipleship? You could say it out loud. Everything. That's what it is today. And as I close, again, I appeal to any unbelievers gathered here. I encourage you, become a disciple of Christ today. Are you willing to trust Christ today? Repent, turn from your sin, your wicked ways, trust in Jesus. He died and rose again to save you from sin. And you could be saved today, but count the cost today. Because Jesus runs the show when you name the name of Christ. Surrender to Christ today. Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave on your behalf. And to believers today, those in the kingdom, I encourage you, continue to share your faith and make disciples of all nations. And maybe if the Holy Spirit's convicted you right now because you've been disobedient to the Great Commission, it's not too late. You could begin sharing your faith today. There is no excuse to be an ignorant Christian, ignorant of the scriptures at this point. We have so many Bible translations, it's just laughable at this point. There's so many good resources of apologetics, witnessing clips on YouTube. Brothers and sisters, equip yourselves. When we're not equipped for other things, we don't just sit around for 10 years and, and just say, well, I don't know enough, and then we don't make changes. But we want to buy a home, and we realize we don't know how, you know, uh, loans work and all that. Guess what? We do research and we learn. When we realize we don't have enough education, we go back to school. And today I encourage you, if you realize you're not equipped to share your faith, go back and study. <laughs> study the word. Get with believers who are already out there doing it. Trust in Christ today. Let's be obedient to the Great Commission, telling people to count the costs. And love should motivate us to share our faith. We're not trying to win uh, arguments. That's not what it's about. It's about winning souls, winning people, because we want them in heaven for all eternity. Let your light shine before men and fulfill the Great Commission. And remember, if someone ever asks you, or if you wonder to yourself, what's the cost of discipleship, tell them everything. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we can realize that the cost of discipleship is everything, but we also know that you equip believers to fulfill the Great Commission, Lord. Help us, Lord, not to be immature disciples, but mature disciples, Lord. I pray you work in the hearts today of believers today and unbelievers, Lord. Thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for our service, Lord. And bless the rest of our time of worship as well. And bless us this week, Lord, to go out and make a difference in our communities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with the song that.